Well, welcome to the Sound Words Podcast, where it's our goal to love and live out God's Word. Today, we have Pastor Mike Matisic with us from Christian Fellowship Church in Hammond, Indiana. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thanks for having me. It's a blessing. Yeah, Mike, it is wonderful to have you on. Uh, You and I have gotten to know each other uh, better and better over the past many months. Uh, You are, as Aaron just said, pastor of Christian Fellowship Church just outside of Chicago, uh, master's seminary graduate, uh, married to Becky. Uh, I know that you're getting very involved with a a new uh, role as well with Shepherd Seminary, helping them get their cluster program off the ground. Uh, Member of the IFCA, uh, Independent Fundamental Churches of America, And just real briefly, I want to highlight that because uh, some of our listeners, not all of them know that the way that I first heard the name Indian Hills was actually Mike Matizic praying at the IFCA convention, which was held in Lincoln, Nebraska in the summer of 2021. Uh, I didn't know Mike, didn't know Indian Hills, didn't know Gil Rue, but when Mike prayed and mentioned uh, something to the effect of if you're in town this week for, for Sunday service, you'll want to check out Indian Hills. I filed that away, only <laughs> not knowing that later, many months later, wow. uh, the Lord would, uh, would would link us all together. What a blessing. So, what a story. Yeah. I mean, that's just you doing what you're called to do as a pastor, pray in public, you know, a public venue like that. And you just never know how the Lord is going to guide and, and cause people to respond to those prayers. So, Mike, the point being, you are an important uh, part of the history of our church in many ways. And uh, by the way, I, I want to ask you. I know your history with Indian Hills goes back quite a ways. So would you be willing to maybe to kick us off, give us a little bit more of the backstory about how you are connected to Indian Hills and, and Lincoln? Sure. I was hired in 1992 to go come on and be the uh, college pastor at Indian Hills. I had no affiliation with the Indian Hills prior other than the fact that when I was attending Master's Seminary, there was a good number of individuals from Indian Hills that were my fellow classmates. And when uh, we were graduating, a man that many would still remember, Jimmy Carraway, told me about a position. He said that uh, he was coming back, I think, to be the junior high pastor. And he said, would you consider talking to the guys that were coming out to interview from Indian Hills? And I said, sure. And it led to I believe, an incredible experience for me for the next four years from Becky and myself to be a part of a church like Indian Hills, where at times you felt it it was the perfect stepping stone after Master Seminary to get more grounded in the Word. Mm-hmm. Gil's leadership, Gil's passion for the Word of God was just uh, something that has grounded me for the next 27 years of my ministry. Mm-hmm. It's just been an incredible blessing. That's so neat. So I'm, I'm basically what you're telling me is I have on the phone the former college pastor of Indian Hills and the current college pastor of Indian Hills. <laughs> Blessed am I to be That's, in the presence of such men. Thank you for uh, for pay, doing such a great job paving the way, Mike, yeah. and uh, making my job what it is today. So the um, Alpha Omega House was my passion. And for about two, three years, we had been praying and praying and praying knowing that we needed to find something on campus or something close to campus to be able to reach out to the students there. And uh, in the final months right before I was leaving, it was finally found. And so that has been just an incredible encouragement to me because I know what it has meant to the church and to the young men that have been on campus and then for the young women that can come and have the studies there. It's just a great blessing. 
Absolutely. Now, Mike, I didn't know that. You were instrumental in purchasing the Alpha Mega House. Is that what you're saying? Oh, a- absolutely. I was the driving force from my perspective behind it. And, and that Gil graciously listened to me. I can't tell you how many places we went and visited prior to finding Alpha Omega. Hmm. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, to this day, we talk about how just this AO house is very unique uh, in the way it's positioned around campus. I don't know if you know, but UNL has sort of grown around the Alpha Omega house. And so it's in a very high traffic area. Uh, we've had a, the chance to share the gospel with a lot of people just walking by. Um, and many guys have lived there since you purchased it. So praise the Lord, Mike. Yeah. Thank you for your faithfulness. Yeah, it was really special to me. I was uh, browsing your website, and I noticed recently that you taught on Hebrews chapter 1. Right. And I think you had a four-part um, four part series on Hebrews 1, and so we wanted to ask you about that. Sure. Um, our first question today is, uh, so we understand you taught on the superiority of Jesus from Hebrews 1. What does that section of Scripture teach us about the superiority of Jesus? Well, it fits real well with the entire purpose of the book. The entire purpose of the book is emphasizing the superiority of Jesus over prophets, over Moses, over the covenants. And very short section to open up the book, talking about how he's superior, I believe, to the prophets. And then you go from verse four down to about verse 14, and there's this very detailed section of reasons why Jesus is superior to angels. And I felt that that would be a great text for us to look at over the Christmas season, it, it is applicable beyond the Christmas season. But, you know, we just came out of this season that we all know we're in the world. We're not supposed to be of the world, but we struggle with materialism. We st- struggle with the idea of how do we blend? How do we blend celebrations with Santa Claus and reindeers and Christmas trees? And I really wanted our people to focus on, okay, let's understand who this baby is and why he is so great and so superior, the one who will go on to die to pay the penalty for our sins. And so I I went through that series and found it very, very, uh, I found the response being really great from our people, especially when we start talking about how angels are infiltrating our, our culture and especially the Christian culture. I know when you go into sound words at Indian Hills, you're not inundated with all kinds of angel um, <laughs> angel decorations, angel books, you know, fall in love with angels. But our culture is, we're, lit, we're in a culture, when you go to, I think, the average Christian bookstore, you're going to be inundated with all types of ways to recognize the significance of angels in our lives And I think it really does cross over into angel worship. And, you know, coming out of this last Christmas season again, I think most of us and most of the people even at the Hills could say, I watched A Wonderful Life. And, you know, maybe it brought you to tears. But it's this movie about an angel. A guy becomes an angel. And, and, you know, people cry. They love that movie because it's so impactful. But it's such full of false theology. And... Our culture seeps into our Christianity, and I just wanted our people to be cognizant of the fact that, look, you know, we're going to watch these movies, we're going to see TV shows, you're going to go into Christian bookstores, and you just got to be aware 
Jesus is greater than angels. We're not supposed to worship angels. And so, yes, our people found that I thought very beneficial. Mike, so Hebrews 1, 5 and 1, 6 refer to Jesus as begotten and firstborn. Um, here's the question, because we know there's a lot of bad teaching out there, false teaching sure. out there. Um, here's the question for you from those verses. Was Jesus a created being? And how do those terms, begotten and firstborn, harmonize with what we know elsewhere from the Bible about Jesus's deity? Right. The, the key word there is um, the idea a firstborn in the sense that you can either look at it as chronological or you can look at it as rank prominence. And I believe in Romans 8, 28 or 29, it's used, it's used also in Colossians 1, 15 and here in Hebrews 1. Uh, we, we've historically have looked at this as rank in, in the sense of prominence. And I think there's been some really great studies that have done out of the Old Testament where the expression was used in the Hebrew. Obviously, this is in the Greek when you're looking at Hebrews and Romans and Colossians, but the very concept shows, I believe, in the Hebrew as well, that it's always a position of rank. You can, you can understand it as a position of rank. So not in the sense that Jesus was someone that was as the second person of the Trinity created, but as he, God becomes man, he takes on this position of prominence within humanity. Yeah. And I think that's, that's helpful to, to talk about that and to define firstborn in those passages. When I do a simple Google search of the word begotten, um, the first definition that comes up is typically of a man, sometimes man or woman, bring a child into existence by the process of reproduction. So I think that is what a lot of people have in their minds. And even, even with John 3, 16, right. you know, that God gave his only begotten son. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so Pastor Mike, what would you say there? What's the interpretation of begotten in John three sixteen? Yes, that's more along the lines of the Hebrew one. Like when you look, I think, I think it's um, off the top of my head, Isaac, I think is called begotten in the Old Testament. And he wasn't in sequence, the very first child to Abraham. And so the, the idea of being special, being someone of prominence, someone of rank, that's how I would look at it, Aaron. Yeah, great. Well, now uh, moving into sort of a different but related topic about the superiority of Jesus, we know that he's superior to the world. And we know First John 2.15 says that as Christians, we are not to love the world, nor the things in the world. So just practically speaking, what does the world love and value? And then if you could also answer, what are some practical ways we as Christians can make sure that we're not loving the world? Right. You picked a passage <laughs> that means a lot to me. I don't know if you you guys knew this, but I'll never forget when I was a young guy just out of seminary. Um, I had just been a couple months at the Hills about eight or nine o'clock at night on a Saturday night. Gil calls me and tells me that I've got to preach the next morning. <laughs> First time. And, you know, Indian Hills is running about 1,500, 1,800 people at the time. And I just said, like, what? <laughs> Are you, I'm preaching tomorrow morning. And I picked 1 John two fifteen to 17. And it was and has always been a passage that's meant a lot to me. And so, yes, I always reflect back on that, that that morning and being able to that be able to pull it off but when you look at this command in first john you know first john is a book that i am centering i'm my doctorate i'm working on 
at, at Shepherds. I'm working on my own doctorate, my my D-min, and I am going to be focusing on the book of First John. And this is a verse that epitomizes this awareness of what is characteristic of a person that's in fellowship with God versus a person that's not. And you have this command that is given by um, a direct uh, instruction, don't do this. And then it said, then you're basically said, told um, the reasons why, because it's inconsistent, because the idea of the fact that if you love the world, you're, you're not loving the Father because the things that are in the world are not from the Father, but obviously I think from the world and from a system that is opposed to him. When you look at 1 John 2.15 and you say, okay, what am I going to do here? Because as a pastor, as I'm trying to instruct people, I don't want to fall into the trap that's in Colossians of do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. So I want people to recognize they're not supposed to love the world because all that's in the world this lust of the flesh, right? This lust of the eyes, this boastful pride of life are things that are not from the Father. And part of this gets into, I think, how we in Bible, strong Bible churches, want to tell our people to be reading the word and yet be subject to the spirit of God without falling into a charismatic trap or charismatic camp. Look, I could go out and I could buy a brand new car and it's not my idol, but somebody else can where they've got that boastful pride of life. And so there's a guidance that I want to tell people, look, it's very easy for me to say, don't steal, don't cheat, don't have premarital sex, don't commit adultery. Those things are real clear, but we always have to be cognizant of what are idols in our life. And the book of First John is trying to get people to understand the genuine from the fake, the genuine from the fake of a person that's in fellowship versus the fake, the genuine teacher from the fake teacher. And through this process, I think when we're living out our Christian life, we have an awareness that because we're in this world, there are things that we set up as idols. Ironically, the book of First John never mentions idols. And if you were to ask people, what is the Larry last word? When I say, does it mention idols throughout the entire book until the very last line? Why, why is that there when he says in chapter five, little children guard yourself from idols? It's because he, he, there's awareness, I believe, that John has is that Christians are always struggling with setting something up that we're going to, to we're going to worship, we're going to put over God. And, and, our flesh is going to want to feel good. Our eyes are wanting to get attracted to something that we like and we have prominence over Christ or prominence over God. And so the way I tell people is, look, this is the, this is the clear instruction, but fill yourself with the word of God. Don't quench the spirit. Let the spirit of God lead you. And if you want to do practical things, then look at your time and your talent. And your treasures, you know, your time, what do we have? 168 hours in a week. Where, where are you spending the majority of your time? I mean, did you just spend last Sunday spending eight to 10 hours watching NFL football? Do, you know, do, do you spend, you know, 10, 15 hours watching every week a, a series of Hallmark movies? We, you know, we've, we've got to look at where are we spending our 168 hours? I Never forget 
when I think I was going through seminary, we had a class and we had to break down our week. And when you start to look at what you're doing with your time, it's a, a great investment. And it really tells you, what do you love? What's your passion? You know, how much are you spending following your favorite college football team? How much, you know, are you following the stock market? And, you know, people tell me, you know, that they don't have enough time. They don't have time. And and as a pastor, you're always trying to get people more involved. And if you could just have them look through their schedule and say to themselves, oh my goodness, I can't believe how much time I'm spending on this item, whatever it is. Because again, I could watch football a couple hours. It's no big deal. And I don't ever want to make anybody feel like, oh, you, you do not taste, do not touch, you know, do not handle. But God knows your heart, where you're passionate about your time, and then where you know you're you're using your talents. You know, I uh, just recently gave out Gill's booklet on spiritual gifts to our church, and on that in that um, booklet, he he lists the ten spiritual gifts, and we're having our church go through and read that booklet. I'm having everyone in our church read Gill's book so that they have an idea of what their spiritual gift is. And we're finding it fascinating that a lot of people don't know what their spiritual gift is. People really haven't been forced to identify their spiritual gift. So if I'm looking at my talent and how I'm being used of God, I want to be able to say, well, this is my spiritual gift and this is how I'm using it. Now, I recognize for myself, like I look at, look at the gift of serving. And then if somebody has a talent of maybe being a musician or being able to um, work in the production area of sound words, yeah, you, you, that's how you're serving. And then you're taking your, your technical abilities, your talents, and you're using them for God. So where I, as a pastor, want people to understand, look, if... I'm going to follow through and not love the world or the things of the world. How am I using my time coupled with my talents to serve God? And then finally, you know, the the great triad, we have time, talent, treasure. There is the sense of opening up your checkbook and saying, where is my money going? Now, the funny thing is, is today is a lot of people are telling me they don't have checkbooks, which is <laughs> laughable. But then I would just say, look at your spending and where are you spending it? And even as a pastor, I tell my congregation, if you take a passage like Luke 16, which is the um, unrighteous steward, the, pa- the parable that Jesus talks about is using your money to impact the lost. And I told our congregation just two weeks ago, look at this parable and look at how you're spending your money. I'm not asking for your money to be sent into our church. I'm looking at you and saying, are you baking cookies for your neighbor? Are you taking your neighbor or a present or something? Are you doing something to significantly impact the unsaved so that they can be one for Christ? And I know that's a tough passage theologically when we look at it and say, well, obviously, you know, giving somebody a $5 bill or a $10 bill isn't going to automatically get them saved. But the implication there that Jesus is telling us in Luke 16 is that, yes, our treasures being used to impact the lost does make a difference. So, yeah, you really asked me a, a very, I want to say, pregnant question. Because when he talked about First John 2.15, I, I find there's a lot of application. 
and a lot of practicality for this verse to be played out in the Christian's life to make sure that we're not loving the world. And, and everyone's going to be different. And you have to pray how your heart is in regards to the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So sorry if I just <laughs> rambled on there. No, that's great. That, that's super helpful. And I really appreciate how you, you didn't go after the do not touch, do not taste and, and go straight to application, but you, with First John 2.15, helped us understand the, the heart level um, perspective that has to be in play there. Do we, do we, is our supreme devotion, is our supreme desire to Christ and to honoring him? Or is it to chasing after the things of the world, which could look different for various people? We have different things that tempt us, different things yeah. that allure us. But the focus is on God, his purposes, Christ, our Savior, and advancing the gospel. And um, and, and and you really did a great job there of helping us understand, are, are we at a heart level supremely devoted to Christ? And I think that's the heart there of John in 1 John 2.15. Yeah, and I think it's even hard to understand our own passions. Sometimes we can be self-deceived, but uh, what you said, I agree, is helpful. Understand your time, your talents, and your treasure. Are you using them to glorify God or glorify yourself? Mm -hmm. So thank you, Pastor Mike. I appreciate it. Sure. Well, that concludes our episode. And uh, listeners, if you'd like to learn more about um, Pastor Mike Matisic's ministry or Christian Fellowship Church, you can visit cfc-church.net and listen to sermons and read blog articles. Um, and I'll, I'll do what uh, you did for us, Pastor Mike. If you're in the East Chicago area near Hammond, Indiana, visit Pastor Mike's church, Christian Fellowship Church. Thank you, Aaron. You bet. And thank you again for being on, Pastor Mike. It's great to have you. Okay. See you, Jesse. See you, Aaron. God bless. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great day.